From Equality Arizona, you're listening to the Arizona Equals Conversation, a narrative interview podcast documenting the stories of queer people living in Arizona through the lens of community. I'm Jean Woodbury. I'm the Interim Executive Director of Equality Arizona and the host of this podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Matthew Coelho for the third of three Tucson-based interviews that Matthew hosted at his home. So when I mentioned towards the end of the episode that we're running up against a time deadline, it's because actually it was the third of three interviews we had recorded back-to-back at his kitchen table, and they all had to leave to get to a play. So I'm really grateful to Matthew and Blake for hosting me and their friend Juan for agreeing to do an interview I really enjoyed this series, and I'm excited to do more interviews in the future with people living all across the state. Matthew's story is really incredible. We got to talk through a lot of facets of the adoption process and building a family, about personal healing through music and community, and about how electric the desert can feel and how electrifying the local community in Tucson can be. I often get out of an interview and wish I could just record another entire episode with them, and this was one of those cases. So I I hope you all enjoy listening to it. And if you haven't already listened to my interviews with Juan and Blake, they're the most recent two episodes in the feed. All right, let's roll the tape. My name is Matthew Coelho. My pronouns are he, him, his. Thanks for talking with me today and for setting up your home for me to talk with you and Juan and Blake. Absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. And I, I really enjoyed the tour of the the new room for the twins. Thank you. That's exciting. And you said this is something that's pretty new. Yes. And so just, I don't know, tell me about that. Are you pretty excited? We're, I'm very excited. We're both very excited, my husband and I, Blake. Um, but yeah, still very new to the, the situation is still very new to us. And we're still kind of like wrapping our heads around it. And really, it, it feels a little surreal just because we've been on this journey for, of building our family for um, really pursuing it for about a full year now. But we okay. made the decision together that, to start making a plan to do that about two years ago. I see. Um, yeah, that's a long time. Yes. Yeah. Especially when you're kind of, you know, just doing all the education and, and building community and finding resources. And it feels like a long time, even more. I mean, two years is a long time, but when you're like kind of going through it, it feels, I don't know. Yeah, when you're in it, I'm sure it feels even longer. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, but it was such a really great experience in terms of just absorbing so much information and getting to connect with people and hear people's stories and learn about how all the different ways that families are built. And yeah, it it just like really showed us that like we're making the right choice for, for us and for our family. Oh, I love that. Um, Yeah. Are there good like local resource groups that you're able to find? Yeah. So there's actually, um, an attorney here locally to Tucson, Arizona, um, Heather Strickland. She has a really great show. She's a, a, an adoption attorney. Okay. Um, so she, specializes in family law practice, but then also more of a specialization with um, LGBTQ families. And it has been such a, a, an incredible resource with not only providing us with like guidance, she's never once char- charged us for like 
two years of, you know, anytime we had a question or mm. email back and forth on, on guidance and, you know, pointing us to different organizations and colleagues of hers. She's been a really great resource. Um, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And then there's a lot of online communities as well that have been really, really impactful at, during our journey. With, that makes sense. Yeah. Providing like webinars. Um, so like Gays with Kids has been really wonderful. Um, they're an online uh, community that bridges and connects families um, to oh, share cool. stories. So that's been pretty awesome to just to find community there. Yeah. I feel like looking online sometimes that's a great way. And sometimes it's like, I'm reading the same article over sure. and over again, but I'm not talking to a person. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that there is like an actual group. Yeah. There's a handful of them, but to your point, yes. Yeah. It's really nice to be able to speak to, you know, humans and share real life stories of how families are built or, you know, uh, we've had been connected with people who like my friend Juan, you know, obviously who went down the path of surrogacy to build their family and, um, just hearing people's stories of adoption and, and, and their journeys. And yeah, there's just so many different ways to, to build a family that has yeah. been just rewarding to hear how like the struggle that we're experienced, that we've experienced kind of like getting up to the point of our current match, um, was just, I don't know. It just, it was a comfortable, uh, there was a, a layer of comfortability there that, or a comfort, I should say, um, <laughs> that was lent to us by hearing people's struggles and knowing that there is like light at the end of the tunnel. Knowing some of the things that are difficult going in. Is that what you mean? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. Both like, um, like, like, um, situational struggles and then also a lot of like the mental well-being struggles and just like the emotional aspects of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I know that with adoption, it can be kind of a devastating cycle of thinking there's a match that's going to work out and it doesn't work out mm-hmm. and, and having the expectations set by that community, I think has to help hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was helpful and it still is helpful to, to have a, you know, just a supportive community out there having, again, you know, hearing people's stories and how they got through it and the things to kind of like mentally prepare for. Yeah. Super helpful. I don't know um, if you have seen, but I, w- my husband and I are pretty vocal about our whole journey on, on the internet. And so through our social mm-hmm. medias, we've been able to kind of like share our ups and downs um, of our journey and, you know, something that we shared uh, just because I feel like it's important that these types of conversations are had. Um, yeah. You know, there are people out there that do a lot of like emotional scamming and that did happen to us um, about a month or two ago where we thought mm. we were being matched. And, you know, the, we had a, like a FaceTime conversation with the person and it was like really exciting for a, an hour and a half. Um, but then like immediately, you know, it's like a, a wave of, confusion and anger and sadness and yeah but then also you feel it's like a mixed feeling because you're also feeling for the person as well because you're kind of like trying to put yourself in their shoes and like what are what are they going through to like that like put them on this path of you know kind of like catfishing i guess yeah <laughs> um, is that was that what it is like essentially yeah, oh, yeah yeah it was interesting but so that's just like one little element of like the struggle yeah of, navigating that path for sure when you share those kinds of stories you know publicly on Mm -hmm. your social media do you find that that's that's um like an extra emotional burden or that it helps you to process it i think it could be both depending on the responses oh yeah i think it's important to to share the journey a because i 
you know, not many people know what it's like to go through a, a journey like that. Um, yeah. Most people don't. Yeah. So it is, it's, it is nice to kind of like vocalize and share. It does kind of release some of that like anxiety and the, the fears and the, the uncertainty of it all. But also, yeah, sometimes there's like some negative response and, uh, and usually it's people who like, don't really, they're like not following me. Maybe they probably like search certain hashtags and they're maybe like anti-advocate, uh, anti-adoption advocates. Um, mm. but there's never really a dialogue. It's always just kind of like something negative and then, Oh, I see. So. And then it's kind of just like a, you kind of have to ignore it. But here's some, some hate sure. in the comments and yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But for the most part, I mean, the support has been super helpful. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, well, I mean, I feel like making the decision to adopt or in general, making the decision to start a family is, is a pretty big thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not something that a lot of people in the LGBT community are automatically comfortable with. Sure. And for some people it's because we haven't had good family experiences and that can go either way. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we want to have a good family and create that for ourselves, or we're just afraid of it. Did you have to go through a, a long decision process when you were thinking about this? Yeah, that's a good question. I did not personally have to do a lot of like heavy thinking or soul searching. Mm-hmm. My family, growing up, my so my dad moved to the... So he was born here, but moved to India. He's Indian. Mm-hmm. Um until he was about 12 years old and then moved back to the States. But he is one of five brothers and a sister. So I grew up with like a huge family oh, cool. surrounding me, um, like c- tons of cousins. So family was, my family life was very good. And so I do have, a, I think, a, a really good sense of family life. And so that I think helped inform. It's like, like a big value for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I definitely knew that, especially going into my relationship uh, with Blake, we always kind of knew family was something that we both wanted. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah. And actually even before, um, like being in a very serious relationship or even, you know, prior to marriage, I think I always knew that like adoption was going to be the path for me. So I'm bisexual. And I think even then, you know, whether I were in a long-term relationship with a woman or ended up getting married to a woman, I think again to my point like the adoption still would have been on the table oh, okay um, so my family actually runs an orphanage in india and i kind of i went there uh twice actually with my dad and his family oh cool yeah and it was really exciting to kind of just see the the groundwork that like my family's legacy has like built there and kind of the, i think that maybe informed kind of like that that thought process of adoption and when did you go? Like as a kid growing up, you would... So actually my first... Yeah, so uh, I was a little bit older. I was about 15. I think I was about 15 okay, years okay, old. Yeah. So I was in high school. I think it was my, my freshman year. I don't know how old I was. That sounds about right. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was my first time. But I went with just my cousins and my uncle mm-hmm. um, and my aunt. So they're uh, Christian artists and musicians. And they would tour. They still do tour um, India and like Singapore and like... the. Um, pretty much all over the world. Oh, wow. um, but okay. So they were there performing and doing shows. And so my cousins and I got to go along. And during one of the stops, we went to our the main orphanage and then um, to a couple different other locations that the my family ministry supports. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. Okay. Is that something that you're still pretty connected to? 
uh, like Christianity or like the, or the, the ministry and the group and everything that your fam the work your family does. I'm supportive and I'm very um, like. I help with like advocacy and mm-hmm. sharing, you know, um, that it exists. I'm not so much involved as I used to be with like, you know, hands-on trips and things like that. Yeah. Um, and it's not just for lack of wanting to, I think it's just with where I'm at in my life. All my family's back home in California. And so it's like difficult for me to, to play an active role. I mean, not so much now that like, the internet exists and all that, but, but still, yeah, it's just hard to like be there and like feel connected in an impactful way. But again, to, I, I still share and like do whatever I can from afar. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, that's work that has a lot of emotional labor involved in it in, in terms of just being supportive to people, being supportive to families, mm-hmm. being supportive to kids. And so I, I, I mean, I imagine that that could be something where having a family built up around it having multiple siblings and having kind of everyone involved probably helps to distribute that a lot. Is that the experience that you've had? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's just, it's still, I mean, like today, I think it, it's flourished so well um, with all of that support for sure. Like the family's so big and like, yeah, they're, even though I'm not as hands-on as I used to be, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely in in great hands. Yeah. Makes sense. And so you grew up in California. I did. Okay. Like near LA or? Yeah. yeah. So south of LA um, in Orange County. So it's about 40 minutes or so south. Okay, cool. But yeah, so I was born and raised there. And um, that's, I spent some time out in Nashville um, by myself. And then when I came back to California, that's actually when I met my husband, Blake. So we got connected and we're working in the music industry for a while, and then we spent another stint back in LA. But when we got engaged out, in, or I'm sorry, in Nashville. But when we got engaged out in Nashville, we decided to come back to Tucson, um, and we thought it was going to be a stepping stone just to kind of get back to Los Angeles and get back into like the artist world and community. But Southern Arizona just has been so great for us that we were like, I don't know if we should rock the boat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've been here since 2018, and. Um, I really feel at home here. There's something really electric and exciting about the desert that I feel um, like calls me here. So it feels really oh, interesting. nice. I mean, I kind of know what you mean driving here because I drove all the way down from Phoenix and sure. I love that drive despite the fact that I do not enjoy the 10 <laughs> because I just love seeing so much of the desert. Yeah, And so I can totally get what you mean. What are some of the other things that have made you feel at home in, in Tucson? Yeah, I think um, what really makes me feel at home here is really just the feeling connected to the earth. Um, a lot of the work I was doing in back in California before my time here in Tucson, before my move, was involving a lot of community and like community building in the well-being space. So I helped kind of like build a was held in a temple, but it was really like a community centers in Venice mm-hmm. Beach, California, and what that what that space was was like a well-being center that offered like yoga and meditation and um, just different well-being offerings that really helped the community thrive in LA. There's a lot of different like social um, like challenges that are pretty prevalent out in the area, like homelessness and, you know, um, drug, like heavy drug use and certain, the offerings that we provided were a space for people to, to find connection and maybe like a, just like a human 
interaction that normally they wouldn't receive like out on the streets or and so this was this was a community space for like people who are unhoused or... yeah unhoused um a lot of people who were housed as well like so you know just it, it was for everybody oh that's really but cool. specifically for people who were unhoused or maybe going through a lot of challenges to find community and to find um like a, a, like a a helping hand essentially that's really cool yeah how long were you involved in that a little bit over a year um it was called full circle it was really wonderful we had a lot of really great incredible like wellness speakers come out um specialists and authors i don't know if you're familiar with marianne williamson she would come yeah a lot and, oh, so and cool. speak and um it was really incredible the type of work that was happening there yeah um, how did you get into that in in the first place um i think it was my own wellness journey i would think you know after high school, I didn't really have a lot of direction. Um, and even kind of like probably even earlier than that, like during high school, it was kind of like a lot of my struggle with my sexuality and coming to terms with who I was, you know, kind of going back to where I shared about, about my family's, you know, background in the church. That was really challenging for me to kind of like wrap my head around just in terms of questioning, you know, my identity and yeah. questioning whether I aligned with these like Christian beliefs. And it kind of played a huge role in my like mental instability. And I think, you know, again, navigating high school and not fully, you know, letting myself be who I was. I think there was like a struggle where I was, you know, over drinking, um, eating like foods that were just terrible for me. And I, I didn't recognize myself, you know, when I was like 21, 22 years old, I looked, you know, I was really overweight. I was I looked like I hadn't slept in, you know, days mm. and I realized like, oh my gosh, I don't again, recognize myself. Um, and so I, you know, I joined a gym. I started really finding a really great community there. Um, a lot of support. And again, the connection to me was like, oh, I, I, I'd never experienced people who supported me for who I was. I was kind of like showing up there as my authentic self in the, in the sense that like I, I knew I wasn't fully who I wanted to be, but I was showing up anyway. And I was like giving it my best shot to like, you know, work out and like feel good about myself. And I think seeing and experiencing that support kind of led me into my next step of um, exploring music because I loved to songwrite and like sing. And I never really pursued that until, you know, joining the gym and, and feeling good and starting losing weight. I, I took that next step and being like, well, what else can I do? What can I do next? And I oh, yeah. started pursuing music and I started, you know, things started happening for me there and I was getting, opportunities to write with artists and different producers and it made me fulfilled that I was like feeling inspired and like feeling better about myself and like my own self-image and my own and my own identity really and then it really just got to a point where I was like I'm I'm feeling so good about myself and in my skin that I wanted to help bring that to other people and I think that's I kind of like how it um how it started but I I found other people similar to me in, in Los Angeles who wanted those same things and I think that's kind of like how I got involved with the wellness space for sure. Yeah. And then was it, was it like you and a team of people putting this, this space together or was it more of like a larger like coalition? It was really collaborative. It was okay. like people from all walks of life. Um, it was already established in the sense that somebody owned the space and they were doing the work in it already. And then it like started attracting people with different talents and different support and different networks that kind of, it became like a, a larger collaborative, like board of directors, I should say, that like 
put a plan together and put all their, again, their talents and skills and created something much bigger than it was initially. Um, But yeah, it kind of like took on a life of its own and it was really great for a handful of years. And then uh, the space itself um, was no longer available. It had to be sold, but it, it, you know, it was wonderful. It was really great for me. It gave me a lot of fulfillment and uh, drive to continue that work. Were you able to continue that work as you moved around the country to Nashville and to Arizona? Yeah, I think I took a lot of that motivation with me. I I think I've always tried to use my platform, whether it was through social media or the or the music that I was writing to to tell that story of of connection and, and you know the importance of showing up for people and empathy and kind of creating a safe space for the people that I came into contact with, mm-hmm. um, whether that was like, you know, at a show or in the writing room. Um, I think that like intention would always end up out. Oh, to that's really interesting. So like when, when you're writing music and, and performing, hmm. do you see that as like creating a space for, for people? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. There were a lot of times I would use my music as a way to like for, there was this really cool event that I participated in with one of my friends, Ben Decker. He um, is a meditation teacher. And so we did this uh, world peace event out in Los Angeles. And I was able to kind of like perform my music and support that mission to to provide a safe space for people to to let go and to find that like community there. And yeah, I was, I've always kind of like used it as a way to, to support that type of work. That's really cool. Yeah. You mentioned... Getting into music around that time where you were starting to feel healthy in yourself mm-hmm. again. Had, had you been musical before that and that was the moment where you felt like now I can really do it and be creative? Or was that like when you first said, let me go out and get into music? Yeah, no, good question. Because I didn't provide a lot of context. <laughs> yeah, no, music was always very important to me. Um, again, I did mention my, my aunt and uncle are, you know, musical performers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually did show choir uh, in high school. My oh, brother okay. played lacrosse. And for me, I tried to do the lacrosse thing for a bit. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna be like my brother. And like, he has a bunch of cool friends uh, playing sports. And I was like, after about a year doing that, I was like, no, this is actually where my, my heart is I always loved to sing. I always loved music. And so show choir was like my way to explore that in, in high school. And we got to travel the country and like do, you know, performances. And oh, um, I, I love that. That's really cool. Yeah, it was really fun. But that I think was really f- exciting to me because I got to, I think for the first time, experience what it would be like to, to be around people who were like-minded. But I think after that, it, I, it like disappeared for me. And so I didn't know what to do. I think that kind of like had an, a larger effect on me than I than I thought at with, the time. With creativity, like with any kind of creative work, I, I feel like if you have the the space for it, if you mm-hmm. have the people and the community and the, the venue, you can run on that scene for a long time. Sure. And then when things kind of fall apart and you're on your own, it can be really hard to figure out how to do it. Like, yes, I know how to do this, but yeah. also I don't know how to do it anymore. Sure. And you got to a point where you, you were able to turn that around but I imagine that for some period of time in your life, you weren't as connected to music and it's such a big part of your life now. So is that something that like you really missed at that time or that just you had to set aside? Yeah, no, it was definitely something that I noticed was missing like when it was, because to me, I feel like music and songwriting and that type of like release 
it, it, to me, there's like a very spiritual side to that art form and having that, you know, either the inability to access that like inspiration or whatever you want to call it, or even just like not being able, you know, not feeling inspired, I think is a huge detriment to, to feeling well and balanced. And, you know, there were some times where I was like super depressed and if I, you know, in that space where when I was super unhealthy and I wasn't inspired, I didn't feel like I could pursue that like art. Um, Yeah. It was really depressing and like, yeah, just a really sad time. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, to my point of when I got to meet Blake and, you know, we connected through music and through the songwriting community out in Los Angeles. And we wrote a lot of music together. Um, and we wrote, you know, like a full album at one point. And oh, nice. um, okay. my husband and I, so Blake, we actually wrote a song together for our wedding. Yeah. You know, because music is so important to us. We were like, the music at our wedding has got to be like super you know we were just on it with like the playlist and we wanted everybody (laughs) to like get to know us through re-get to know us through our music choices but as we were like planning we were like oh my gosh there's not a lot of like same-sex wedding music oh that's (laughs) a good point yeah Yeah. so we were thinking about that and we we wrote one ourselves so that was really cool to to have that be a part of our special day and like with our moms so it's a it's a song called everything we both wrote it together but um it was really a special song for us that we've received tons of you know feedback from people and people have reached out on youtube or like on social media to to let us know like they found it and like how meaningful and it was for them to to find because they would also use it at their weddings and it was really cool that's what i was just gonna ask so have other people been using it at their weddings yes yeah yeah it's been really cool so actually one time we got tagged in a video on facebook from some random like I think it was somebody's mom who was dancing with their son to the song. And it was really special to see that because really it was for us. It was like a very personal song, but it was really cool to, to see that it resonated. Yeah. And I I think just, you know, with, with any kind of wedding, it's about the couple and then it's about all of the friends and the family who are part of it, who you decide to invite and having something that can facilitate those moments, like mm-hmm. the, the dance between the mother and her son. It's not always a guarantee that our moms are going to be supportive. Mm-hmm. And I think seeing those moments, and I imagine for you writing the song that enables that moment has to be like incredibly, incredibly meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my mom was a little rattled when I like really came out to her. Um, mm. And it wasn't anything that she was like, you know, against me being, you know, identifying as LGBTQ, she just had different dreams of like what my life was. And I recognized it at the time that she was like, you know, grieving a person that didn't exist. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, I think that kind of like helped me. It's like what inspired me to write some of the, the lyrics of the song for sure. Um, to like address that. Yeah, And so, yes, to your point, it was really meaningful that she was able to celebrate it and um, love the song. So, What have you found in terms of, you know, the, the music scene and, and your ability to, to be a musician here in Tucson? Um, it's a little, it's definitely different. It's not like, a, you know, a major <laughs> music city. But I will say that the, that Tucson in general is very creative and, and artistic and lends it itself as a space for collaboration in in any industry I feel like from what I've experienced and seen out here it's I don't know there's something electric I said it before and I'll say it again there is like this inspirational electricity here in Tucson that I think you know if the right people are here and 
Um, and you know, I'm here. So I think it's just a matter of time. I think if I'm extra inspired, you know, in the next year or so, like, I think there's an opportunity here for, for there to be a pretty cool music scene. And yeah. Oh, that's great. I, you know, I wonder with, with Tucson, you've de- described it as electric, the yeah. desert as electric, the city as electric. Are there specific things about Tucson that have been electrifying for you? I think the surprise of the welcoming, like the, just the, the nature of the city and its people and okay, the community yeah. out here, it's very welcoming and warm and exciting. There's always like really great community events going on. I think initially my thought before moving to Tucson was like Arizona, red state, I'm scared. Right. Um, definitely not used to this, you know, but the longer I've been here and the more people I've met in different industries and from different walks of life, it's just like, it has this energy of like growth and uh, potential that I feel like is really exciting. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So it's not one thing in particular. I think it's a, a lot of things. It, it's like the types of businesses that are opening and they're independent and they're small, but they grow so fast. And I think just uh, how much community support there is and whether for like whatever causes, um, yeah, it's just like love how the community shows up for, for itself. Yeah. And I, you know, I think with a city, it's, it's about how everything works together, right? Sure. In a lot of ways. That's what defines the character of it. Absolutely. When I was talking with Blake, he mentioned that Nashville never clicked. It was a real kind of like cultural disconnect for him. Mm-hmm. You were saying just now, like moving to a red state was like, I don't I don't know how I feel about this. Sure. But well, Tennessee is also also that. And it seems like you, you lived there a couple times, sure. right? Yeah. What was your experience there uh, compared to Arizona? That's a good question. I did experience similar um feelings as Blake. Uh, so I, I did two stints out there. The first time, um, I was, you know, single, I was working in a studio and it was remote work. And, you know, I, I never really left to be honest. It was kind of just like to go out to eat or if we had friends in town, we would like go meet up downtown. Mm. So I wasn't really out in the community much, which sounds interesting, but as you know, being a writer who, I was, you know, full-time music then, and so I, like, never left. But And so that was fine. Um, that was about a year, and I came back to California. And then when we came back the second time to Nashville, and I lived out there with Blake, it was very different. You know, the, the time we were there was, like, just when Trump was elected president, so the tensions were super high. And, yeah, it was just a really confusing time for a lot of people, I think. But, yeah, it didn't feel like a very... It was just very tight in terms of the community out there, especially being in the music community. You would think that there would be a lot of support, which there is, but it's also a very like tight knit group of people. So if, unless you're like in the inner circle, you're not really like taken very seriously until like you get a number one or whatever. Um, but yeah, I feel like the community is just so tight knit out there that like if you're not in it, then you're kind of just like left behind a little bit. And that's what I kind of experienced. I see. Yeah. And then coming here, you were able to actually enter into communities. Yes. It was very, a little bit more welcoming. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely what I would say. It was more welcoming and, and it's maybe totally just my perspective, but it seemed to be more receptive to new perspective and new, just new, anything new, ideas, people. Um, and it still is like that. I feel like it's 
you know, the community out here is growing so much. It's like spilling into other <laughs> towns. Um, but it's been great. I love it here. Do you see that the, you know, like you mentioned with small businesses mm-hmm. that then grow so quickly. Do you feel that there's anything like that happening in the LGBT community for like community groups or organizations? Um, I think so. Yeah. I So I spent about a year on the, the Tucson LGBT Chamber of Commerce and just the, the growth that I saw then is about a year ago was huge. I think they nearly doubled um, in terms of the businesses that were, became members, but just the businesses themselves are thriving. And I think it created a very safe space for, you know, allies to even learn about certain um, challenges and policies that are super harmful for, you know, queer communities. And it really helped build like a stronger ally community, um, which is really great out here. Yeah. So I feel like there's such a, it appears to be like a hunger for information. And I think it's for the betterment of the community out here that seems to be like proving itself because businesses are doing so well and it feels very inclusive. So yeah, I think that would be kind of my key point, uh, like like a key indicator of that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a great indicator. <laughs> yeah. What kind of businesses are LGBT owned? Is it a lot of like small businesses or There's a lot of um really great like restaurants and bars. Um oh. there's a, a couple of there's a lot. I mean, you name it. There's oh, cool. a new pet store that just opened up that's like super high-end and boutique with like a really cool community space, but it's like LGBTQ friendly and it's owned. And there's, you know, the first female head brewer at um, Borderlands is queer, and she oh, is cool. doing incredible things. And they just expanded with one of the the greatest chefs out here in Tucson, um, uh, Maria Maison, and they've expanded and opened up two new restaurants, I believe, in town. But yeah, there's also like a, another really cool company called Southwest Solutions that's um, queer owned, and uh, they do like merch and um, like printing and. They do a lot of really great corporate um, projects. Oh, but nice. Okay. Yeah, you name it. There's like any That's awesome. industry out here. Yeah. Well, I think we're running up against a time deadline. Mm-hmm. But I, I do want to ask, you know, Tucson isn't where you grew up. It's, it's not your childhood home. You've lived here for a while now. Do you think this is somewhere that you want to stay for, for a longer period? Of? Yeah, I definitely feel that for sure that this is going to be a place where we're going to raise our family and... You know, we, we've been lucky enough to have two homes out here and we've built such a great community of friends, uh, who all have like young little ones. And I think, you know, we've just built such a great like community again around us that I don't see us leaving anytime soon for sure. This is, I think where we're going to be for a while. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me and for hosting all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Such a pleasure. Thanks again to Matthew. And thanks so much to all of you for listening to this episode of the Arizona Equals Conversation. If you'd like to catch up on past episodes of the show or listen to new episodes when they're published, make sure to follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. We've got some great episodes planned out for the next few weeks, and we're always looking for new people to talk to. So if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of the podcast, please reach out. You can go to equalityarizona.org stories to sign up.